So thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. This is actually our September podcast and continuing with the well-being topics and also acknowledging the awareness days each month. This month, we're actually focusing on lifestyle and cancer. It's World Cancer Research Day this month and the importance of raising awareness of how we can reduce our risk of cancer is actually a pivotal part of well-being. Many of the lifestyle changes and modifications we can make will not only work towards our well-being, but research also suggests can reduce our risk of cancer. Now, we're not saying from this podcast at all that like an individual has, who has had or has a cancer diagnosis could have prevented it, but more what we're trying to highlight is that we can reduce the risks. Also, I'm joined on the call today by Teresa and Suzanne, and Teresa was mentioning earlier when we were chatting before recording that she's actually, you know, had a client that's, you know, been really healthy, done everything that, that they could have possibly done, but unfortunately, they did still get a diagnosis of cancer. However, it's likely that they will probably get through the treatment a lot better. They're going to feel an awful lot stronger. Um, and that's because they had done all of that kind of healthy, healthy living as well. So I've mentioned um, Therese and Suzanne. I'm actually joined. They're both two experts and they'll explain their roles in a second. They're cancer nurse specialists. And um, yeah, go ahead. Suzanne, if you could just give yourself a little um, introduction, that'd be great. Oh, hi. So yeah, Therese and myself both work for a company called Reframe, which is a cancer support company. Uh, we're both trained nurses and the people we support have been given a new diagnosis of any kind of cancer and uh, we can support them over the telephone all over the country and help them on an emotional, practical and um, sort of psychological basis through their treatment. Um, my background is that I trained just over 20 years ago as a general nurse. Um, I've travelled around the country with my husband, so I've worked in, in various hospitals and health authorities. For the past 10 years, I've specialised in oncology and haematology. So, um, giving chemotherapy on wards, looking after people who call from their own home with any side effects, and um, generally, over to Teresa. Um, yes, I'm Teresa. I'm also, as Suzanne said, one of the cancer nurse specialists at Refrain. Um, I started my nursing career in Africa. Um, I did my diploma in nursing studies and then followed up with a um, uh, Bachelor of Science degree in nursing. Um, I'm also a trained reflexologist. Um, I've had many years experience in oncology and general nursing um, and now have a special interest in nutrition, complementary therapies, the immune system, end of life and palliative care. And that's me. <laughs> So Teresa's got a very similar background to my mum, so I find it really reassuring and, and I feel affinity. I kind of miss her having her little therapy room at home and be able to do reflexology and, and all the different therapies. It was very, very useful. <laughs> now it's just an office, which isn't really that, <laughs> it's really that fun. So as I mentioned at the start, this is a, there is research. There is research out there that suggests lifestyle can be linked closely to those kind of increased risks of cancer. It's not going to stop it. It's not going to prevent it. It's not going to be a suit of arm, you know, eat loads of vegetables, don't smoke and do 500 squats. You're not going to therefore be immune. But what we know is that there is research out there that can suggest you can reduce your risk of cancer by kind of improving elements of your lifestyle. And, and I just wondered, you guys, as the experts, how much you think people actually know about this? Um, well, I, we were talking about this, Susanna, myself, and we think it depends on many factors. Obviously, you know, the social, economic and educational status. 
and your cultural and individual belief systems too. Um, a lot of people know about the negative effects of obesity, alcohol, smoking, lack of exercise, and others are aware of the risks with em environmental toxins like asbestos or other risks with hormonal treatments like HRT and the contraceptive pill. But um, as people also are quite aware really of the positive factors around a good diet and the exercise and the benefits of reducing stress. Um, I think we need to recognise so that there are things in our lives that we can exert some control over and other things not. Um, but it's really our ability to look at our lives and evaluate the risks and reduce them where we can. Um, but on the other hand, um, not to get too worried if there are things you just cannot change at the moment, but just generally to be working towards an understanding more about what is a healthier lifestyle. Suzanne, I think you're going to talk about screening and, and things that we can do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just to, to give you an idea of how much people are aware or not, the World Cancer Research Fund have been um, tracking public awareness since 2010. Last year, they discovered that more Britons than ever appear to know about the links between lifestyle and cancer risks, but there is actually a gap between awareness and action. Um, the exception to this is actually smoking, which I will come on to in a moment. Mm. Apparently, two-thirds of British people link being overweight with increased cancer risk. More than half of us think there is a link with poor diet, and again, half of us say that we understand the importance of physical activity. But unfortunately, overall awareness is not translating into better outcomes. Uh, many people are failing to make the changes that could minimise our cancer risk for actually nine different cancer types. Blimey. Yeah, so many, isn't it? <laughs> um, we still eat too much saturated fat as a nation, uh, too much sugar, too much salt, and we're not eating enough of fruit and vegetables and whole grains. The Department of Health figures actually show that two-thirds of people are overweight and only a minority are getting our five vegetables a day. Which it's like incredible. sticking your head in the sand. It's that kind of, you know what, it's all going on around me, but it doesn't really affect me. And then actually, ultimately, it sounds like it's affecting more people than it's not. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a health risk, isn't it? As in a, as a public health risk, if we're all kind of yeah. aware well, of these things. Cancer, obviously, you know, heart disease, diabetes, other, other illnesses as well. Yeah, definitely. Wow. So the good, the good news is that actually all the campaigns on anti-smoking that the government have put in place have worked. And um, because we do know that tobacco smoking and obesity are the top two contributors uh, risk factors. And in the past 10 years, actually, the amount of people smoking has, has dropped, actually almost by half. Um, adult smoking has fallen to just 14%, but the largest drop was in 18 to 24-year-olds, interestingly. So one reason we think is that um, because of the cost of cigarettes has gone up, mm. it's become less affordable. So maybe that's been um, what people needed to, to give up. And also the fact that public areas, um, hospitals, workplaces are also making their areas non-smoking. So it's very inconvenient for people to smoke. So even if people aren't given up completely, they're at least cutting down a great deal. I've always and said this to my, sorry to interrupt, I've always said this to my children, you know, they're sort of 17 and, and 15. And, and I thought, I said to them, do you know what? We, I smoked when I was younger and when I was your age, I smoked, my husband smoked. 
but we didn't you know it was kind of it was not obviously our grandparents definitely mm. didn't know the risks but it's yeah. kind of like the risks have got bigger and bigger and the initiatives have got larger and larger over the years and if you smoke at your you know in the teenage years if you make that mistake then more for you like it's it that's just stupidity really now because it's it's not like a secret this is something you are growing up with the risks yeah. the illnesses the costs the the risk to life are just so tangible and so clear how would you be that silly really to mm. make that choice and it's a choice at that age it is a choice to to kind of fall into that pattern so um i'm i'm not surprised with that 18 you know that age group of quite quite mm -hmm. lowered uh, because it's just like it's a knowledge and you'd just be very silly to get involved in that kind of thing wouldn't you mm. yeah yeah the only thing is that lots of people are turning to e-cigarettes mm. um, and we're not we now realize that actually they're not that safe um they, they still put nicotine into the lungs and the bloodstream. Yeah. Uh, there's no tar or smoke in an e-cigarette, but there are other chemicals that can cause cancer, including formaldehyde in some of the um, And heavy metals. We don't quite know the long-term effects because obviously they haven't been out long enough mm. yet. But, you know, scientists show, are showing that actually they're, they're still almost as dangerous as cigarettes, actually. So people that think it's a healthy option unfortunately it's not um and it has also been shown to produce something called um popcorn lung or bronchiolitis i've heard of that or crackle lung i've heard yeah. of as well yeah. it's um yeah. it's just not enough research is there it's a complete you know it's 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 almost like where why would you just take something in inside of you when you know it started off in the in the 1950s all those people smoking that was fashionable mm -hmm. and and now it's you know it's the same we're back in the 1950s with vapes you don't know what this is doing to yourself yeah. so I had even written about here you know there's been big government initiative it's almost like we need to now start all the research and the process about the whole new alternative cigarette hey well I mean you know one thing I'll talk about later but obviously if people want to go for GP you can actually be prescribed nicotine patches you can try other methods there's um there's NHS incentives to give up smoking and lots of apps that you can use to help you so there are there is help out there if people, once people decide they want to do it but another thing people need to also do is um attend screening for cancer right so there's three national screening programs in the uk uh breast cervical and bowel um these are obviously free on the nhs um for those that are invited to screening or for people who maybe have a family history and need to have closer monitoring but again, talking about awareness, um, cervical cancer is the most common cancer in women under 35, and yet one in three don't attend their screening appointments. Um, when they looked into the reasons why that was, um, some of them felt they didn't actually need to go because they, they were healthy and they weren't having any symptoms that needed to be investigated. Um, and sadly, a third to a half were actually just embarrassed by their body shape and didn't want to go. Um, you know to, to to the doctors so this is obviously something that needs needs to be addressed because even if you're feeling well and healthy you might be carrying the HPV virus and that can obviously if it's not picked up and treated can turn into cervical cancer but if it's caught at an early stage then it can be treated very easily and that's I mean I'm of the kind of Jade Goody era and so she, you know when she was when she went from being in 
I think she was actually in Big Brother again, wasn't she? And then she got the she got told she was unwell, and then literally months later she'd passed away, and she was completely healthy on the outside. And so that's that's the story that I grew up with, which has meant that I've never really, you know, I'm not worried anyway. I grew up with a nurse. That's just well, I'm a therapist myself. You, you always used to those things, but that kind of body image thing is is a really um, it's, it's a hard one to overcome isn't it and I see a lot of stuff on social media now a lot of celebrity female celebrities are, are kind of filming going for their smear test just to show how much easier it is but yeah that's a really big kind of piece that people need to be getting involved with I've seen them somebody at my uh, at Unum they actually had breast cancer and it was detected from a breast screening and they said they would never have known that there was anything wrong with them it was picked up really early stages they had their treatment and it was a really it's a really high success rate isn't it when it's picked up really yeah. early yeah um, so really people just you know it's literally you know I, I used to tell my daughter for any anything that she wasn't looking forward to you know if you just count the minutes in your mind how long is it going to take how long does have a, a smear test take you know you could probably count to sort of 500 and it's over um or you know the, from sitting and going in through the door and it, it's, it's finished so you know are, are you going to put yourself at risk for just you know a, a few minutes of your life really um a few minutes embarrassment so and encourage others as well you know don't keep talk talk to other people about it and the benefits and, and things like that if you can help one person make sure they make that change that's a really interesting angle to come at from a lifestyle piece as well because it totally would you know i wouldn't have even thought of that of just that's a lifestyle choice going to have tests like screens that you could have and often the same applies to mammograms um they're at the moment they're only offered to women over 50 automatically mm. um and then if they're clear then it's every five years but obviously, if you know, if anyone finds a lump or whatever, early detection is the best thing. And then yeah. it's not, it's not too painful. You know, you hear horror stories, people saying how painful it is. It might be, but as Teresa said, if you just balance that out with what you might have to go through if you don't get checked, then actually, you know, it, it, it's it's well invested time. And bowel cancer is mainly for um, people over over 55 at the age at the moment. And it's offered, um, yeah, offered automatically to over 55s. It's you can have a one-off scope, which actually checks the bowel to make sure it's all clear. But for 60 to 74-year-olds, you can actually send a home test to do, and that's done every two years to pick up on the the first signs of bowel cancer because it's quite hard to detect. So they're looking for any sort of blood or abnormalities that they can pick up quickly then. And it might just be polyps that can be treated really quickly, but if they're not, then they might turn into something more serious i'm really lucky to have these yeah. initiatives yeah we're st what a brilliant um kind of world we're living in uh to, to have these things available as, as like real early intervention prevention type resources yeah we should really you know we're very lucky to have the nhs and have the service so we really should should take it up use it yeah okay so that that's just uh, extra bits of information I always think I'm totally prepared for these podcasts and I'm gonna have all the you know brilliant nothing new knowledge for me that's really so many interesting pieces there just kind of thinking about um the gap of being aware of you know cancer um, risks but actually putting into action the lifestyle changes that people need to make that kind of head in the sand type approach that's a really big thing we've seen already there's like nine different cancers that that could easily have changes and, and people just aren't doing them and the importance of taking up the screening and actually you know doing it and, and those can all make such a, a big difference so the next thing I wanted to think about is actually is um, I mean rightly or wrongly there has been 
previously a lot of media coverage on uh, things like inherited risk of cancer. And actually, when we do our cancer webinars, we, we have a little quiz question and we ask what the percentage of, of cancers that are inherited are. And I think there's that kind of people like to assume that it's far higher um, than it actually is because then the onus isn't on them to almost make a little bit of those changes to their lifestyle, much like those nine cancers where people could make a, a change to their lifestyle. You know, oh, it's going to be it's it's inherited. Um, you know, things like the celebrities. I think Angelina Jolie she had a double mastectomy, and that was due to her increased risk of female cancer, specifically breast and ovarian, because of her um some of the the genetics that she had do you believe um or do you think that there's a belief that people um kind of people believe they have no ability to put any preventative measures in place mm. except for maybe kind of the the screening and then the extreme surgery rather than looking at lifestyle um i think for for ordinary ordinary person i think it's really important for them to have a knowledge of their family um and family illnesses um I think they can start from there. And if you see a history of a certain type of cancer or even any other disease, um, then it, it's just worth going to the, see the GP and being referred for advice and possible further investigation or screening or scans. Um, but I think it should be understood that, I mean, there's many different types of cancers and various triggers and risk factors for, for these. Um, sometimes we people get really concerned say they've got a, um, several older relatives in the family that have died of the lung cancer but looking into that more deeply we find that you know some have been heavy smokers or worked in the coal industry or with asbestos and so you know it doesn't automatically mean you're at higher risk of getting a lung cancer because of that but um, I'd say generally that if you have a concern if you look across your family and obviously I suppose for people who are you know an, an adopted uh, into a family and things like that is one of obviously the areas of concern for some people that they don't have the ability to look at their family history um, but just to start start with there and if, if there is anything that is worrying you um, with prostate cancer and um, Suzanne was talking about screening there isn't an, um, an active screening program as such for prostate cancer but if you're aware that you know your, your father had it the grandfather and various uncles then you can really take yourself at any age and and flag that up to the GP and say, you know, I am concerned and and follow it through. Um, certainly, the role of genetics uh, in the development cancer is is just a really ever expanding area of research. Um, but they're, they're every day really they're they're investigating and finding, aren't they, Suzanne? More genetic links to various, you know more genes that are involved say in breast cancer yeah so that's just you know I mean if you embark down that route to get tested for everything I mean it's, it's it would just be quite overwhelming but for peace of mind I think if you've got any any feelings that something might be in the family or you're unsure just to go and you know get it checked out um I think Suzanne's going to just go on and explain a bit more about early diagnosis and um genetic tests aren't you Suzanne in, even just so when you was talking about that um the changes with the genetics in that little test that I said we did in our in our webinar it's gone up just in the past few years the answer was like oh two percent of the cancers and then now it's gone up to 
you know five times five times two times three times that ten ten percent and it's kind of it's, it's always it is increasing and you're right that's that's that testing and we're so um lucky that there's so is so much research going on so um yeah i've seen that myself just f f not as the expert and um anyway sorry suzanne i just get so enthusiastic about this. <laughs> no, <that's absolutely. laughs> we're all really passionate about this subject too so it's really interesting <laughs> yeah yeah, I've, uh, uh, one of the genes that people have mostly heard about with genetic testing for cancer is the BRCA1 gene, probably because that's um, one you're talking about, Angelina Jolie. Um, now, I'll just give a brief explanation about Angelina Jolie for those that are interested. Um, her mother, she lost her mother at age 36 to ovarian cancer, and her mother was carrying the BRCA1 and 2 genes. Um, Angelina then had a blood test herself, which revealed that she was also carrying it's a faulty copy of the gene that you carry. We all have those genes, but it's a faulty copy of it. She was carrying the faulty copy of the BRCA1 gene, which put her at a very high risk of getting both breast and ovarian cancer. So she had, as you say, she decided to have a double mastectomy and she also had her um, ovaries removed. Now that thought, be, it depends on each person because it depends on the specific mutation of the gene. So not everyone will have such a high chance of, of developing cancer but hers was actually 87 percent chance that she'd develop breast cancer at some point in her life which is why she decided to have such drastic interventions the surgery did actually reduce her chances down to five percent so for her the surgery was obviously the option that she felt was the most appropriate um, it isn't obviously the option for everybody if you if you have the gene and you are at risk you can actually just have intensive surveillance um, for any early signs of cancer. For example, MRI scans, more frequent mammograms, obviously checking your breast more regularly. So not everyone would have to go down that route of surgery. Um, I'll just give a little brief outline about the BRCA genes. Um, one, approximately one in 1,000 people will inherit a damaged copy of the BRCA gene from them their parents. But families that carry these uh, gene faults usually have a long history of breast or ovarian cancer. So if you're a female and your mother or aunt, grandmother, sisters have had breast cancer at a young age, then it's definitely worth you getting checked out. Um, you would be offered an early mammogram with a family history um, and then you can, you know, you can be on top of it and be aware and be looking out for any signs and symptoms. Because actually, only 5% of the 50,000 women who are diagnosed with breast cancer every year carry an inherited gene for like BRCA1. So it still is quite rare. You have to put it sort of into perspective. Um, as we say, most cancers still arise from damage that accumulates over the years um, due to, you know, as we said, things you're exposed to, lifetime, lifestyle choices. Um, and that's why with, with lots of breast cancer, actually age is one of the biggest factors because it doesn't happen at a very young age. It tends to happen over the years. So the average female has a 12.5% chance of developing breast cancer at some point in her life. But if you, have, if you are carrying a BRCA gene, then you've got a 60 to 90% chance. So that's, that's you know, a bit of background about that gene. So with genetic testing, as, as Therese sort of touched on with prostate, if you've got a strong family history, history of any cancers then it's very recommendable to go and speak to your doctor talk about this and there are genetic tests you can have on the NHS to see whether or not you are at risk you obviously would have counselling before this as well because if it comes up with a positive result you then need to do something about it 
as I say, it could just be increased awareness and increased surveillance. Um, but it's it's reassuring in one way, but on the other hand, some some people might not want to know that. But it's it's just as you say, it's amazing for us that it is actually available, so you can be more closely monitored. Um, and again, that would be on the NHS if you've got a strong family history. And we all know that you know picking up tumours at an early stage when they're local and not spread, it's it's much the treatment is much easier, much shorter, and the outcome is much better. Actually, when we did our alcohol podcast, they were saying you know alcohol in particular for women can increase the, the chance of breast cancer there is some relate correlation between alcohol and that so that that 12 percent you were talking about obviously you know when you start doing those lifestyle positive lifestyle changes can can have that positive impact on on your likelihood i suppose yeah yeah i mean breast cancer mainly, is mainly sort of alcohol being overweight and a poor diet generally lack of exercise but again as you say there's lots of people who might do all those not do those things and still get it but so we've talked an awful lot about um predispositions or genetic factors uh, but the main thing we're thinking about today is lifestyle and the relationship between kind of improved lifestyle good well-being and how you can actually you know reduce your your risk um, and the, the, the things that we need to be thinking about and we've touched on most of them is diet, obesity, smoking, sun, but even things like you can even go down into detail like oral hygiene. Those are, you know, having a good relationship with all of those things can indicate a kind of reducing your risk. What I'd really like to hear from you guys, because this is your area of expertise, is like going into more detail about those specific lifestyle areas that we can all focus on. We've touched on elements of all of it, but what specifically can people do um, within those areas that we can kind of focus on? Well, one of the areas I, I, I just looked at, um, it's one that's perhaps overlooked a little bit, is um, to sort of focus on and examine the stress um, in our lives. Um, I mean, research I looked at as far back as the 1980s by the American Psychological Society, they've demonstrated, you know, real negative effects of stress, anxiety, depression and loneliness on the immune system. And when you're thinking about sort of keeping a healthy immune system, um, comes quite important really um there's been a lot written about the negative effects of stress for patients who already have cancer um and generally associated with poor outcomes and treatment resilience is, is lower um however there are mixed findings and really quite inconclusive results on the effect of stress as a risk factor for actually developing cancer um nevertheless the some of the researchers are saying that if one is stressed, then this can affect the immune system. Um, and also now things like increases in blood pressure, uh, weight, heart problems, kidney function problems. And as Suzanne touched on, lead to diabetes, um, you know, stroke, depression, social isolation. So there's a lot of illnesses that can develop from that. And the Sort of debate continues around that can stress and all the inflammation and disruption it causes in in body functions can it um, go on to cause um, you know changes and create an environment for things to go wrong in the cells and for cancer to develop um, so I think it goes without sort of saying that it is worth doing all you can to reduce stress stress in, at home and in the workplace and to add that to our understanding of a healthy lifestyle not only diet and, and exercise um, but to you know boost um, our immune system and reap the benefits of having a strong immune system 
which will help reduce infections and improve well-being. Um, and by doing that, by reducing the, our stress and really examining our lives in, in that area, um, it will just naturally encourage healthier activities and better physical and mental health in, in, the, in the long run. So that was that was the area I, I was particularly. I love that. I have heard that before. Yes, I, I'm, I'm. I'm really fascinated. I did. Um, I did a study on it, and um, there. I mean, there's such a lot of evidence to say that um, you know, if you have cancer, that hopelessness, stress, anxiety actually affects, you know, tumor growth and things, and it, it and chemotherapies, you know, won't work as well in in a in a way. Um, and this um, and killer T cells um, are reduced and things like that. So if we can sort of focus on our mental health as, as much as our physical health, I think it's it's really important. I heard this actually at a conference that I went to that relationship between stress and and cancer. Um, so I, I absolutely love that. And do you know what? I'm kicking myself that I hadn't even thought of that when I'm thinking of lifestyle and well-being. I was purely focusing on those, you know, like kind of external things but that intrinsic I mean I'm, I'm all over stress management if any of these interested in uh, any of the, <laughs> the stuff we've got lots of other things other podcasts all about managing your own own well-being and the, and the July one is is called being well-being you and I think that would fit exactly where you're talking about that proactive health and well-being Teresa so thanks so much for for bringing that to to light and, and Suzanne I'm sure you've got some more to add to that piece as well. Um, I was going to pick up on one of the things you mentioned about oral hygiene and dental health. Um, there's something called periodontitis, which is um, it's more than just a, an ulcer in your mouth. It starts off with um, gum disease or gingivitis, so you might sort of have receding gums or red areas in the mouth. Um, but this, if, if it's left untreated, this can actually lead on to periodontitis and you have tooth decay cysts in your mouth that um, fill with pus and then they this is quite a recent find but they're finding that this can actually link to certain kinds of cancers main probably um, hematological cancers like so um, leukemias because it gets into the bloodstream and affects the t-cells um, so obviously with that it's you know regular checks to the dentist getting your dentist to check your mouth taking good care of your teeth yourself you know brushing correctly maybe go and see a, um, a dental hygienist and make sure that you are actually using the right kind of toothbrush the right kind of toothpaste and flossing to stop gum disease um, I think it's quite an unusual one because it's something you probably wouldn't think of but um, it's something we can really do something about and it's quite obvious as well you can see if there's a problem whereas some of the cancers that are hidden you might not be able to pick up on so quickly again that you know it started off by bacterial infection, so just if you try to get that treated quickly, then again you can prevent it um, getting worse. Dentists will also check your mouth um, because other kinds of tongue cancer or throat cancer can be picked up by the dental dentist just giving an inspection of your mouth. You might find when you go sometimes they ask you to lift your tongue up and they look underneath your tongue to see if there's any abnormalities. They're just looking to check that there's no sort of dark areas or growths that might be the first sign of mouth or throat cancer um, and also melanoma is another thing that we, we could look at. Melanomas also can be in the mouth so the dentist can actually pick up on a melanoma in the, in the mouth at that point but obviously 
you know, we love the sun and it's good for us to get to the vitamin D, but we've got to get the right balance with being careful in the sun as well. Uh, again, we think everyone's aware of it, but perhaps not. If you've actually had, um, if you had sunburn as a child or growing up and you've blistered sort of five or more times on your body, then you're at higher risk of developing melanomas in the future. Um, we need, there's a, there's a really good um, Australian uh, campaign called Slip, Slip, Slop, Slap, Slice and Seek. And it's about slipping, slipping into a shirt, slopping on the sun lotion, slapping on a hat, slide on some shades and then seek shade between 12 and 3. If anyone wants to Google that film, it's actually quite funny. Um, but it does make you just think of the really obvious things, you know, protect yourself, enjoy the sun, but be safe. Wear a high protector, high sun protector. Um, protector, protect yourself from the UV damage that can be caused by the sun. Keep an eye on moles on your on your own body. Obviously, different skin types are at different risk. If you're very fair skinned and got light hair or ginger hair, then um, you are more at risk. So you need to wear a higher sun factor. But also, um, you know. There's lots of skin cancers that aren't as serious, but if it's a melanoma, you need to get something sorted. And there are apps that you can use to track your moles so that you can keep be aware of any changes. It's mainly noticing anything that grows or changes in shape over time um, or is a new, a new sore on your body that isn't healing. So, um, again, that, you know, that's a different kind of cancer, but if we just need to be on the lookout for it, really. And, uh, get it seen quickly these are brilliant ones that I just totally didn't <laughs> didn't expect to to hear so I feel like we're really um kind of le I'm learning today as well and actually my husband's obsessed with with moles um and I go oh leave me alone but now he's got he's got back up <laughs> yeah um was there anything else that you wanted to add to that or should we just kind of move on so thank you guys so much I've literally learned more than I expected to which I always think is really nice and it's it's a good part of well-being is to learn it's one of the the five areas of well-being um really what I wanted to think about the final sort of stuff that I wanted to take from you guys is the experts is just maybe a few you've given so many tips all the way through um checking your moles looking after your stress don't put your head in the sand when it comes to you know you know the things that you need to do to improve your lifestyle you need to you know actually do them Make sure you get take part in screening. Speak to your GP if you feel that you're at higher risk. Um, you know, think about your past family, but also think about your past family history and their lifestyle because those two can can also explain. Um, you know, generally you need to be leading a now healthy life, and speed of action is vital. But is there anything else that you would say that people can just be starting to action immediately to make their differences to their life? If you've got any hints and tips, that would be brilliant. We can start with your yourself, Teresa. Um. Well, for me, I was, I was thinking about this. I think, you know, obviously, I think it's very important, especially today, um, going on my theme of stress, but um, to have your work very separate from your home and family life. And I see more and more people that are overwhelmed taking work home, carrying phones home with them, taking calls. Um, and whether or not stress can be linked to cancer, it, it does affect our health. And I think start with sort of small changes and just build on things. Um, start by having boundaries at work and at home and set priorities, try and delegate and, and to learn to turn down tasks that will overwhelm you and also learn to say no. And I think in the workplace and, at, you know, if, if people do start saying, you know, that's 
too much and other people will follow. But when you have one person that will just push themselves and push themselves and everybody feels like they've got to, to follow, that just, you know, equals stress and burnout. Um, make time for your family and friends and relationship with loved ones is, is most important. Um, do try out rela relaxation techniques, you know, give them a go. Yoga, Tai Chi, deep breathing, meditation, mindfulness, all that sort of thing. Um, make sleep a priority and try and aim for seven to eight hours sleep a night. And if you are struggling, reach out for help. I mean, most of us can use a little help from time to time. Um, you may feel some reluctance to do this or feel it's mocking you down as a failure. But mental health is as important as physical health. And as with any physical concern, you know, a lump, a mole, a sore that won't heal, um, have it checked out for peace of mind. And the same with um, anxiety or stress or any behaviours or thoughts that are concerning you. There are people who can, um, like we do at Refrain, you know, signpost you to the help you, you, can, you, can, you need. So just um, don't suffer in silence, really. That's from me. That was brilliant, Teresa. I think you've covered nearly everything there. <laughs> I'm trying to see if there's anything left for me. Um, I think I'll just sort of, um, you know, reinforce the exercise and diet, really. With exercise, I think people find, as we've found, a lot of people know we need to take more exercise, but it's, it's finding the time to do it. So I think the easiest way is, is actually if you can incorporate it into your daily life. For example, if possible, can you walk to work or cycle to work? If you can't, can you actually go out for a walk every lunchtime and, and do it you know, every day? Nice brisk walking is a great exercise. Whilst at work, obviously, climb the stairs, don't use the lifts. Get up every hour, walk around, make sure you're actually moving your body. Um, or even once COVID allows, taking the bus, because at least you've got to walk to the bus stop, get on the bus, walk from the bus up, maybe just not driving as much everywhere. I think during COVID, we've all realised that we, you know, we enjoy our hours of exercise a day. So continue that, keep it going if you can. Maybe employers, you know, should be encouraging that as well. And then with the diet thing, if, if people are confused about what to eat or not to eat, I think the main thing to remember, definitely reducing red meat and dairy. If you still, if you want to have dairy, have low fat, you know, low fat milk, low fat cheese, and increase the amount of vegetables, um, fruit as well. But I think because the fruit's got lots of sugars as well, then vegetables are actually a great thing to, to um, increase. And the whole grain foods, really. Um, I think that covers as much as we probably can. <laughs> You've covered so much. And I just think this has been, I've really enjoyed it. And I'm so, it's so nice to have two people so passionate about the same sorts of topics, but also passionate and expert. I just rally around going, oh yeah, do these things. And, and you've given all of the research, all of the, the, the kind of evidence behind the things that we need to be doing. Um, and, and what's really nice is bringing that kind of wellbeing piece in, Teresa, um, that I, I mean, that's my job I'm a well-being manager but I hadn't even thought about that kind of put the, the emotional piece as well so I think that there's been so many amazing things that you guys have have talked about today and, and I recapped on a few of them already but the biggest thing is you know it's a holistic approach look you know having a healthy lifestyle don't bury your head in the sand um, you know, get tested if you if you think that there is a high risk. Speak to your GP because you, it sounds like um, there's a really big initiative, a big proactive initiative within the UK and within the NHS in order to to reduce those risks um, and to kind of get that screening and preventative stuff in place. So use it. Um, don't don't be embarrassed to go to the to the 
get your tests don't be embarrassed to go and get smear tests etc um you know it could save your life at the end of the day so i just wanted to say thank you so much to yourselves um suzanne and Teresa. it's been absolutely brilliant to have you both on thank you very much for joining everybody and listening please tune into next month's podcast and thank you very much to suzanne and Teresa.